I think especially a composer like Beethoven, uh, who deals with ideas and ideals, uh, and uh, so it's it's not about oneself. It's not about oh look how I th- much I'm feeling or you know I've had a bad day or I've had a good day and and kind of this sort of breast beating musicality quote unquote that you know it's easy for many pianists that, that you often that you hear sometimes. Uh, so it's, it's it's more about uh, let's say awareness of of, of things. Hi, and welcome to And If Love Remains. I am your host, Mike Levitt, and I am thrilled to have again on the show two amazing artists and and uh, two friends of mine now. We have Elias Pedersen, um, our local uh, maestro of music on And If Love Remains, and uh, we also have with us Daniel Shapiro, um, who is who is finishing up, going through the, the Beethoven cycle, all 32 Beethoven piano sonatas. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, about that um, but we're also going to talk um, about about some teaching philosophies. We're going to talk about some some really fun things. I'm, I'm excited to get into this. Um, we've had Daniel on, so I'd really recommend to go back and, and listen to our previous show uh, where we introduce him. But just quickly, he is um, at... Uh, um, the Cleveland Institute of Music. Um, he uh, is is very. Uh, he's he's one of the leading um, in, uh, interpreters of Sch- Schubert, Mozart, Schumann, Brahms, and Beethoven. Um, he's uh, a chamber musician um, and has performed regularly with with the Cleveland Orchestra, Orchestra, Chicago Symphony, and the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And he is just an all around good guy. Grateful to have him on and, and spend some time with us. And of love remains. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Always great to talk with you guys. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, um, Mike, do you want to maybe get into some discussion? Of course, we're going to talk about the Beethoven cycle, I'm sure. Uh, yes. But um, yeah, but before that, I, I w- I'd be very curious about um, some of your experiences um, of teaching and, and maybe specifically we can we can kind of hone in on teaching the, the sonatas, the Beethoven sonatas. Um, what um, you know, how do how do you approach that with a student? Um, and and um, I mean, do you kind of go for, you know, what are they interested in or, 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 you know, trying to match? How do you approach teaching the sonatas to a student? It's a very good question. And it's one I grapple with each time I have to teach a lesson on a Beethoven <laughs> sonata. Uh, so, uh, basically I start from the premise that the student is a, a young artist uh, and has responded to the music, hopefully, uh, and has thought about it and has his or her ideas and also what they're striving for. Uh, and so I therefore try to work with that. I, I, you know, I don't like to be dictatorial and say, you must do it the way I do it. Uh, and, uh, right. you know, these pieces are universal and, uh, Everybody, you know, the, the the door is open for anyone to uh, find their way with them. And so they play, and I just try to listen uh, without agendas, as, as much of that as humanly possible to do, uh, and try to see if, you know, what they, what they have to say, you know, 
how, how it registers with me. And uh, uh, if they do something that is different from how I hear it, I have to ask myself if it's if there's any validity, you know, if there's validity to it, if it contradicts anything the composer wrote, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, you know, I've noticed things about these works over the years, and I'm always eager to share my own ideas with them. Uh, and then they can feel free to incorporate whatever they wish. Right. I, I'm um, wondering if there are any sonatas that you like to teach or, or you feel that they're very good for students uh, and maybe different age levels, you know, an undergraduate student might be different from a master's or a doctoral student that you teach. But do you find certain sonatas very good just from a um, pedagogical approach? Um, good question. Well, first of all, I would say for younger folks, most undergraduates, but there are exceptions uh, like everything else, uh, it's better to stay away from the late sonatas. Uh, mm -hmm. And one should, I think, have had several sonatas under one's belt before uh, started to look at the late sonatas. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the late sonatas are sort of a distillation of everything in a certain sense. Uh, right. And uh, they're so multi-layered. You know, the other one has to have sort of been around the block musically, uh, lifically, <laughs> intellectually, right. a little bit, you know. Uh, so there's that. Um I guess there are certain sonatas pedagogically for an undergraduate student, something like 10 number three and 27 number one. Uh, I think a lot of good principles and ideas uh, about phrasing and, and structure and how Beethoven works are very clear in the, in those pieces, pieces like that. Uh, and, and, and yes. And especially maybe with an undergrad student, are you are you trying to um, uh, share with them like like what what you feel the composer is intending? Because um, I know everybody can interpret these pieces in, in so many you know individual ways. But but are you are you trying to give your approach? You mentioned trying to listen and, and find validity in what the what the artist is trying to do how much of, you know, of, of that and, and trying to influence that are you trying to, to not impose, but maybe share? <laughs> well, I guess as a general principle, I don't as much have to share my ideas of what it means to me, although I can, uh, but <laughs> so much no, as right. things that can help them find what it means for them. Uh, ah. you know, things like how it's, how it's put together and, uh, and things that contribute to, you know, what the character might be, uh, and, uh, you know, how he treats material and, you know, uh, and so, you know, and then ultimately, uh, I think, yeah, I open, I give them tools, I hope, and open doors for them to kind of really get further into the sonata and then ultimately they can find their, shall we say, way with them, their, you know, what it, what it means to them. Mm -hmm. And, and how does that yeah. differ from, from how, how you were taught in, and your experiences with, with some of your influences and some of the people that, that you worked with? Well, I think it's very um, much an extension of how I was taught. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, 
I was, you know, people like John Perry and Leon Fleischer gave me, you know, know, tools and ways of thinking about the music and ways of penetrating the music. Uh, uh, Yeah, they gave me ways of of approaching it. Uh, And then from there, uh, over the years, you know, those keys have unlocked, uh, to whatever degree they have, uh, my understanding of what this music is all about. I would be very curious. I know you mentioned, I mean, those are both big names in the piano world. Um, mm-hmm. I've I really only come into contact myself with Leon Fleischer when I was up in Maryland. I never played for him, but of course I had a lot of friends that, that performed for him and I've seen him perform a few times live, some mm-hmm. just left hand and some both hands. I mean, he's he's always been a, a great inspiration for me. I, I love his Brahms concerti and Beethoven mm-hmm. concerti. Um, and I'd love to hear more because you really do have a personal link with him. And and for many listeners, they they might not know he, he passed away recently. Um, yes. And I know he was he was a big influence to, for you. And I just I always find it fascinating to you know get those direct links. And he he also studied with some you know some of the greats. So I I don't know if you'd be able to expound upon maybe more details of how how it worked in in lessons. I mean how. You were influenced by him. What were some of the things that you gained um, just from sure. being around him? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I could. Uh, uh, in fact, it's funny. This summer, uh, I think uh, another Fleischer, former Fleischer student and me, Peter Takach, we're going to do a, at this Montecito Music Festival. We're going to probably do a panel on the, Le- the Leon Fleischer legacy. Where we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Leon Fleischer and his teaching. Oh, um, fantastic. But uh, let's see. First of all, the lessons were group lessons, uh, as was the case with him when he studied with Schnabel. So one attended not only one's own, obviously, but uh, the, the other lessons in one person's group. And so one heard a lot of repertoire. Uh, and, you know, and that really, you know, expands one's uh awareness further and uh and secondly uh you know he was a very you know mystical cosmical figure he was always dealing with things like the cosmos and the nature of time and uh things like that you know he was uh you know up there in the in the in the clouds and in the stratosphere and he really lifted us up there with him you know somehow uh, and he showed how this music can be, you know, up there in, in, the, in the firmament, in the stars. Um, and he, let's see. How that's to, great to hear. To organize. But, uh, I mean, I know that's yeah. not, it's a ways off to, you know, for that. But yeah, I just, just kind of hearing some of these things. And I, I know in your own teaching, I'm, I'm sure this is what you want to pass on to your students, how to inspire them. I'm sure you have master, um, not master, uh, class. What am I trying to say? Uh, studio class. I'm sure you have studio class, which is a, a similar setup as well. So yeah, just passing that along. But, uh, his, what, what, yes. I, I was just going to ask what, what were, what were those, what were those group classes like? What, what was the energy like? Um, you know, as, as you participated in those. 
Uh, it was intense. Uh, I mean, because, you know, he's, he's an intense musician. Yeah. Uh, he's not a, he was not a kind of a super energy dynamo kind of thing. You know, he's not mm-hmm. highly charismatic and jumping all over the, you know, he pretty much sat in his chair uh, or he would sit next to you, you know, uh, playing along with his left hand, uh, you know, kind of doubling what I was playing at the top of the piano and kind of conducting and gesticulating with his right hand. Uh, yeah. So it was, in a certain sense, contemplative, philosophical, uh, you know, exchanging of ideas, I- idealistic, but uh, it really, you know, it really transformed one uh, to a, you know, a higher... It's funny, he, he uses the word, he loved to use the word awareness, uh, and he often even will pluralize. He would talk about awarenesses. <laughs> uh, and that's in a sense, yeah, in a sense, that's to a large part what, what he was about, is being more and more aware of, of things, of, of the cosmos and, and of, you know, of life and, and everything. <laughs> and and, and ha- having the art and, and specifically piano being a reflection of the cosmos, is, is that what you mean? In a sense, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the art is uh, the the, piano, the fact that it was a piano was in a way almost secondary. Uh, you know, they were music lessons. Uh, I have a I have a theory like of art, um, and and music as obviously an extension of that in, in piano, but but of of art being kind of a, a a fractal science of the, of the cosmos, you know, how it all reflects on each other. And, and, and the, the deeper you get into it, the more it reflects upon itself. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting as you, as you read these scores and you get into it and, and perform these pieces, um, it is, you become a reflection of that greater sense, I guess. Yes, hopefully. And I think especially, a composer like Beethoven, uh, who deals with ideas and ideals, uh, and uh, so it's it's not about oneself. It's not about oh, look how I th- much I'm feeling, or you know, I've had a bad day, or I've had a good day, and and kind of this sort of breast beating mm. musicality, quote unquote. That you know, it's easy for many pianists that that you often some, that you hear sometimes. Uh, so it's, it's it's more about uh, let's say awareness of 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 things. If that makes sense. <laughs> I love the sense you know, and and also in your performances, the the sense of architecture and timing. And I'm wondering, you know, I think of Fleischer as such a an architecturalist in his performing, and and I'm wondering if while while you were preparing this performance, you know, the the series of the Beethoven sonatas, and this is the third time that you've done it. If there were any challenges, I know last time you were on the podcast, we talked about a couple sonatas that were particularly difficult uh, technically, uh, but that can be you know taken in so many directions. But what was uh, your approach maybe in uh, in this go round, especially since I know you just performed one or you, you have one oh six coming up uh, in some way, and I wonder if you could talk about that. And maybe some of the aspects that you're trying to bring um, in this preparation, you know, the architecture, the, the sound, the timing. Um, yeah, maybe speak to that and, and how difficult that is or what, what challenges you had. 
Boy, that's <laughs> hard to put into words. That's a good, a very good question. Uh, I think yeah, ult- the, the, the ultimately it's a matter of bringing across you know, the essence of the piece and uh, the message of the piece, uh, the, the world of the piece. Mm-hmm. And that's always a challenge. Uh, and that involves everything, uh, you know, architecture and, and color and technique and phrasing and uh, understanding what the text means and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I guess, you know, as one goes through these, you know, as one gets mature and goes through these styles more and more, one begins more and more, first, re- first of all, to realize that that is what it's all about, is to somehow convey the true inner core or essence or spirit of the work. That's our primary task. Uh, and then to make that, you know, really come alive as if for the first time on stage, uh, even though one may have practiced it hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, in, in, in the practice room. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, having said that, you know, as one gets older, uh, the if the ideas of what to express become clearer, how to get the fingers to do them becomes less easy. <laughs> it sure. requires more yeah. and more work. Yeah. Did you find any particular challenges? I mean, I don't know how much you want to delve into your own uh, preparation for some of these or even how detailed you want to get into technical aspects or musical aspects. But since we're getting into the last uh, couple of recitals here of this entire series, you know, you have 106 and then you've got the, the three late uh, Beethoven sonatas, 109, 110, 111. Uh, anything particular you might want to share for the more pianophile type listeners. Well, I mean, obviously 106 is just famously, yeah, famously is just relentlessly awkward uh, and ungainly and difficult to get through. And the most difficult, arguably, you know, technically is the fugue, which you have to start after you've already been playing for a half hour. Uh, And then, uh, so you're already kind of tired, uh, although you've, I guess the muscles of, it's not, you know, the, the slow movement are is less of a certain kind of difficulty anyway. Uh, but then within the fugue, uh, the last few pages of the fugue are the most difficult. And so, uh, when you're tired from getting trying to play the fugue, and then uh, you got those last few pages standing in front of you, and those can just feel like. Oh my God! I gotta get through that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no. yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, but it's 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 just uh, that you know these pieces are so complex, uh, you know that so that you know the the hand is being and it, and very contrapuntal, and so the 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 fingers of the hand are being constantly doing different so many different things at the same time so you know it's, it's very challenging taxing yeah yeah well it's and it's interesting because you mentioned you know talking about uh, you know especially as as you know one gets gets older you know in some ways like these sonatas are a young man's game but in another way they're not because to understand them and to truly appreciate them and to 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 um 
you know, turn them into the art that they are. You have to have that life learned. And yet at the same time that it's, it's as, as, as I've noticed, as I get older and my, my hands get a little more tired, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it becomes more of a challenge to express what you've learned right, um, exactly. through life lessons. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, I have learned things about, I don't know if I say about myself, my approach, and I've worked to improve certain technical approaches. So certain things have gotten a bit easier uh, than they used to be, uh, mm-hmm. but many things not. Uh, and another <laughs> thing that uh, gets more difficult uh, is uh, memory issues. And I'm not talking about big things where you know I'm blank out and get totally lost. But it's like, you know, those little details, you know, in the moment of performance, one starts doubting oneself. You know, does that chord have the third in it this time or is it not, you know? And so right. one, one makes these little small, uh, un, you know, one can easily make these little small errors that maybe only the the Kanyashendi might notice, but I notice them and I, you know, and I can, you know, beat up myself on them for, for you know, these silly little errors that, that happen. Uh, so there's that that aspect of it too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I, I'm go ahead. My, I'm trying to think of other. You know, it's such a big project, and uh, I'm wondering if now that you're getting towards the end of this uh, this series being the third time you've done it, have you gained new perspectives in uh, in these sonatas? I mean, I'm guessing the answer is yes, but maybe what are some new things that you've learned. Uh, will you will you do this series again? I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. I hope I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if it comes to pass, yeah. number four comes along, then number four will come along. Uh, and are, are, are there any changes that you've gone through? Like maybe some sonata you, you just see in a totally different light now? And I don't know. Let's see. Well, I mean, Re- revelations. probably... Almost all of them, uh, the you know the light changes slightly over time. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of any of where I radically changed my view. There are certain movements I think 101. I think I really evolved over time uh, and play quite differently now. I'd like to think than than I used to, uh, and have a better understanding of of how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love one and uh, and I'm also learning, and this is difficult to put into words. Uh, and this is about, I guess, piano playing in general, but especially in Beethoven in particular. Uh, obviously, it takes a lot of effort and energy to play. Uh, these pieces. Uh, but I'm discovering more and more that the energy has to be directed in the right way, the energy that we expend out of ourselves. And the energy has to be done in in a, in a releasing way, in an up and out way. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I mean, we have Fleischer always talked about music is going up and music and is an adventure in anti-gravity. And these are some famous things that Fleischer would say all the time. And he explained what he, what he meant by that. And I understood that and all that, but yet at an even deeper level, somehow I'm learning more and more that, that, that the 
approach to the piano has to be that the energy somehow like vibrates through me, through my bones and through the keyboard up and out. And there's something about the way the energy is harnessed that I can now feel a more liberating sense, if, if this makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very, it, it's very esoteric, but I love it. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more, in a sense, it's more, become more fun to play some of these things. And uh, uh, it's less, hopefully, less a sense of toiling, you know, and uh, strive, you know, I mean, there, there is that too, of course. Uh, <laughs> But it, it, it's more the the, the release uh, of, of the energy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I like that. that I I uh, just uh, you know a week or two ago we had uh, Mark Ainley from the Piano Files on, and we were um, you know talking to him about some of his favorite recordings and some of you know some of his, the artists of the past. And and I'm I'm curious uh, for you, you know, maybe as you're um going through these sonatas who who are some of your influences that that you listen to or or is there um you know how do you maybe not not how do you approach it from a from a performance standpoint but but from a, a listening standpoint um you know who are the the people that you really appreciate okay <laughs> i can actually talk at length about a lot of these figures that i learned a lot from uh, okay first of all uh well, let's see. Where's first of all? I guess the, the, this idea I was just speaking about about, about the, the the energy. When I listen to Courtauld and Edward and Edwin Fisher and Arthur Schnabel, I really feel this this kind of uh, mm. this, the way the energy the energy is released, uh, and I find it liberating to listen to them. Uh, and oh, that's uh, a great way to say it. And and of course, I mean, you know, of course, Schnabel has been, you know, at the fount of my educational experience, having studied with various students of his, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, uh, so that's been kind of a thread through my whole life. But also, uh, and I say, when I listen to, I mean, uh, even if I don't hear, I've I've hardly heard Cortor play Beethoven, but you know. In a different way, right. if I reinterpret the way he approaches something like, you know, whatever the Liszt Sonata or a Chopin Impromptu or whatever it might be, you know, uh, I can feel his approach to music and his approach to the instrument. And as I say, uh, it, it, it's liberating and inspiring. And uh, and people like Edwin Fisher, uh, one has the sense, uh, and this I think is something I profoundly truthful for me i found is that you have the sense that he's making it up you know that that it's completely spontaneous right uh, you know and that's what i try to do uh time i play i think i mean we've talked about this last time i can't remember uh and now in order to do that to a certain extent i mean i've even heard that through that fisher would intentionally under rehearse or under practice who knows if that's really true but uh and uh, but you know, like you know, on the day of the performance, uh, I barely touch uh, the pieces I'm going to play, and I want to have a uh. sense of reawakening and rediscovering the pieces when it comes time to play them, so that I'm not just kind of trudging out the old formula. You know? <laughs> right, right. But I That's learned that from uh, yeah, especially from from uh, from Edwin Fisher. Uh, 
in a very different way, a person who has really had a huge impact on me my whole life is uh, Rudolf Serkin. Mm. And one of my favorites. Just, yeah, yeah. There's this incredible depth of feeling and deep sincerity of, of expression uh, that that one hears with Rudolf Serkin. And, uh, and so even, you know, I mean, any of these great pianists, you know, there, there are performances one might like and one, ones that one might, might not like uh, and so forth, but one comes away with certain understandings. And, and with Strachan, it's just it just goes so deep, you know, just really the fundamental, the depth of the music. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's expressed with a kind of truthfulness, if you will, you know, that, that he really means it from the bottom of his heart, you know, so the superficiality and, and the slickness and the, the, the uh, you know, quote, nice piano playing, you know, that we hear so often these days. It's not what it's about when you hear Rudolf Serkin, you know, <laughs> you know it, it goes so much uh, beneath that. You know, that was a theme that, that we kind of, that I kind of gathered from, from Mark is, is there is a difference in, you know, and I, and maybe not to name names, but it seems it seems there's a difference in the artistry. There's a difference in the 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 way the piano was approached. You know, back in the good old you know whatever you want to say that, but but, yeah, yeah. but there seemed to be a difference between and and between the, the 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 slickness, as you put it, that we hear today. Would would you agree with that, or is that is that just you know uh, to a certain that's extent? Who I, live here? I mean, you know, there was there was plenty of that back in the old days too, and. Uh, and it's also true that many of the pianists today can do things that Rudolf Serkin could never dream of doing. You know, I mean, I don't think right. Rudolf Serkin could have played the Tarangalila Symphony <laughs> uh, uh, or, or played the Art of the Fugue from memory. Uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, so, but yeah, I've, for me, uh, my greatest influence are all pianists from the first two thirds of the 20th century but that's pianists uh and i'm just i'm just getting warmed up because i have to even more talk about conductors and singers uh oh yeah i find myself as much influenced by them as by pianists (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh that's fabulous yeah when i was my i don't know early teens uh 13 14 15 the teacher i was studying with a uh, wonderful lady by the name of Joanna Graudan. Uh, she was a student of Schnabel, and her husband was the principal cello in the Berlin Philharmonic under Wilhelm Furtwängler. Uh, they had to get out, of course, once the Nazis uh, took over. Uh, but uh, she introduced me really to to Furtwängler uh, and also to the the world, I would say, of Bruno Walter. And uh, and so. I learned, you know, a tremendous amount, and am deeply, I think, influenced by uh, uh, Wilhelm Furtwängler's uh, way of making music. Uh, and when you talk about, we've, we mentioned briefly, you know, the sense of architecture. You know, he was the supreme musical architect, you know, and one sensed this wholeness, this, this connectedness of everything uh, when when Furtwängler conducted, you know, a work. And even his famous so-called rubato, you know, his, his flexibility of tempo, uh, 
somehow was done in a way that brought out the inner structure of the piece. Uh, you know, one one can change temples in a way that can devastate or weaken the uh, sense of how a piece puts together, or it can be done in a way that enhances it. Uh, and I found that you know a a musical piece is it's like curved space time. You know, if you play it kind of all in one exact tempo, it, it kind of remains flat. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, you know, <laughs> and so the subtlest manipulation of tempo can give a kind of, you know, monodimensionality if it's done in, in, in a way that reflects how the, one has to have a, a deep understanding of the piece uh, uh, you know, in order to do that. But, mm. but also with Fort Fengler, there's this sense of, naturalness uh where you have the sense that the music is you know playing itself uh and yeah. uh anyway so these have been huge influences on me and uh and bruno walter uh similarly uh when i always felt that you know the meaning of the music uh with him and and his wonderful lyricism and flow and enthusiasm for making music uh, is is you know really an, an ex tremendous inspiration. Uh, I read a great uh, biography of Walter, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I, I really gained an appreciation after that, and having listened to some of his record old recordings, you know, and and uh, just very beautiful. Not not the same, maybe more freedom than than a Vongo type, or uh, but I don't know, just beautiful. You know, and, and heartfelt and sincere. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's interesting. I mean, the Bruno Walter of you know, the first half of the 20th century was very different from the Bruno Walter of the, you know, the late Columbia Symphony recordings. Uh, those have a kind of serenity and inner inner tranquility, which is wonderful. But uh, it wasn't that way when he was younger. He was no, he was driven. Fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There is a Fidelio, uh, you know, from the Met, from I guess the fifties. That's just smoking. I mean, it's really <laughs> thrilling, you know. Uh, so, um, and then uh, some great singers, just the way they communicate, the way they sing. Uh, uh, yeah, in a way, Lotte Lehmann and Elizabeth Schumann have taught me more about music making than just about anybody <laughs> just listening to a few of their recordings uh, or a Hans Hotter uh, or a Maria Callas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a way of, of communicating uh, the deepest emotions in, in the most, sometimes in the most subtle way, you know, uh, in the sense of, of timing uh, and the way rhythm is used is, you know, so subtle and, and wonderful and, and profound. Uh, anyway, so and, and yes. as, as a p as a pianist, do you try and maybe not emulate that, but how do you try to incorporate some of those things, both as conductors and singers? How do you try to like, uh, yeah, incorporate that into your performance? Uh, I or do you, or is it a separate thing? Like like the piano has its own beauty, and I and and you try to exemplify and 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 you know show that off more than bring other things into it no i mean i guess what i think happens most of the time is what 
one can't find a direct plug and influence here and it comes out there. I just listen to these great singers and then I put it into my brain somehow. And then right. I sit down and play, you know, I mean, I listen to Carlos sing Verdi and I'm not going to be playing Verdi on the piano. <laughs> I wouldn't play Beethoven the way she would sing Verdi. Uh, right. <laughs> but something translates, you know, uh, yeah. so there, there is something there that, that, that cuts across the, you know, the, these genre barriers, if you will. Uh, I love that because I don't know if there's any formula or, or if a computer could ever say what that is, you know, it's uh, right. hard to put into words, but you just feel something and maybe the sense of timing, maybe the sense of phrasing and it might, yeah, like you say, it's different for Verdi and, and Beethoven. Um, right. but you, and the, the, the way the, you know, it's funny, the word uh, color, pianists talk about color all the time, you know, uh, yeah, and I've, I've always always been a bit puzzled by that term. You know, this note is pink, and this note is blue, and what you know. <laughs> uh, uh, so I've always thought of colors as shadings, emotional shadings. You know, if if a if a piece overall has a certain general emotional world, then there are a thousand hues, uh, you know, within that. Uh, right. And and a singer is you know especially like a Maria Callas, you know, she's like a painter with her voice and you sense these, these subtle shadings, you know, word painting and the way she colors her voice. Uh, that's really, uh, you know, th thrilling to, to hear, but also I was going to say, um, once in a while I might, if there's a particularly beautiful melody, I might sometimes say to myself, well, how would Leonard Warren sing this? How would it sound if he sang that, you know, or, yeah, <laughs> you know, how, right. would, how would Elizabeth Schumann sing this particular phrase? And sometimes I might try to imagine that I'm imitating that person singing it when I'm playing it. <laughs> that's good. I think we teach students too. And that's actually one of the hardest things when I was a student. And now I realize on the, on the other end of it, um, for example, my, my teacher used to ask me maybe to sing a phrase or a melody, and I, I would just clam up. I was very yes. embarrassed to sing in front of my teacher. My you know, all the excuses, my voice isn't yeah. good, or and and now when I ask students to sing and they clam up, and of course I can just say, oh, you you know you you sing the phrase like this, da da da, da you know, and I don't <laughs> I don't mind, but it's so incredible how just being on the other side of that scale uh, makes you think uh, about the music and not about yourself. I wonder if, if in your own teaching, I mean, obviously you were, you were already fantastic as, as a youngster and you studied with some of the big names. So clearly there, there was a, an emerging talent that they saw. But did you find that your, your sense of um, making music or just, I don't know, do, doing these sorts of uh, things at the piano, being influenced by voice or vocal issues has changed Absolutely. since you were oh, okay? Oh. Uh, well, yeah, since, since you were a student and growing through that and even becoming a teacher. Uh, yes. Um, but actually, what I was going to say is that uh, I also realized that students do clam up when they're asked to sing. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I maybe I'm nice <laughs> and I, I generally don't ask them to, but I, I, I'll tell them to go sing it at home. Uh, and, and this is something that Fleischer also hammered away. He says, your voice is your own teacher, uh, or words to that effect. And especially with a, you know, a vocally inspired composer like a Mozart, you know, or Chopin. Yeah, uh, right. 
you know, if one sings a melody with as much expression and refinement, uh, you know, and whatever as as one possibly can, you sing it, and then you go to the piano and you try and imitate what you just sang, and you also, you know, you listen to your choice of syllables and and all that. Uh, it doesn't matter how in tune you're out of tune, uh, or how croaky your voice is, or what or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know, some of the most inspired singing uh, I've heard is there are these master classes of Lotte Lehmann uh, from the Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara. She gave when she was, you know, long past singing in public. Uh, uh-huh. But she sings a couple of leader with her, as she describes her croaky voice. You know, and though there's no voice left per se, but yet she somehow brings across the songs that she sings with such incredible vividness and and and, and inspiration, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's why so I tell them, you know, sing uh, this phrase or whatever, and uh, and then try to, to duplicate that at the piano. And that, that's really, uh, if you do that enough, then you don't need teachers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have kind of, I wonder if we can go back a little bit since we've gone off to some uh, singers and conductors, but I have I have a couple part question here, going back to uh, to Schnabel, but also um, to Serkin, Rudolf Serkin, and and it's funny he was one of the first pianists I think I had a CD of when I was a young teenager or maybe like eleven or twelve, and I got his Brahms Concerto. I can't remember if it's with Schulte, you, do you recall or Zell? No, probably or. Uh, or Ormandy, maybe. Uh, Ormandy and Orzel. Okay. So I, that was always the go-to Brahms number one for me. And, of course, I heard uh, Fleischer's later, and it, it's great. But for some reason, I always hold the um, the uh, Zirkin in my mind as sort of the ideal. Um, so I'm wondering two things. One is when you listen to old recordings, and I'm sure you've heard a myriad recordings out there, do you find yourself coming back to some of them or saying that some are like, that's your way of doing it. And of course you've recorded them too. So maybe it's, this is really the way it should be. Um, and, and do you think that's helpful, helpful for students to be listening a lot and comparing them? And the second, second part is what if Beethoven, this is kind of conjecture, but what if Beethoven came back and heard Schnabel play his sonatas or heard Zerkin play or heard you play or heard one of your students what what do you think he might say? <laughs> well, to the last There's question, no right that, answer. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the question I ask myself practically every second. You know, if, if Beethoven were listening, uh, what would he think? Uh-huh. <laughs> so right. uh, I hope he will uh, forgive me of my sins and be happy with my approach overall. Uh, but uh, who knows? But I, I mean, I am very keen and interested in knowing what, what he would think, and I hope that uh, he would be satisfied. Uh, and um, good, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would like to think that if you heard, for example, Schnabel's uh, recordings, I think Schnabel caught a lot of what Beethoven's music is about at its core, and therefore he would be uh, pleased. Uh, Again, do you, some things less, some things more, perhaps, you know. Do you uh, think you yeah. would be um, maybe in, I don't know if inspired is the right word, but do you think there would be elements that may, that maybe would surprise 
Beethoven as far as, you know, oh, I didn't think of this this way or, you know, um, an approach that maybe was different than what he thought of, but maybe would have enjoyed better. I mean, it's hard. Obviously, we can't put ourselves completely in the composer's brain and and we're talking about different, even different instruments, <laughs> you know, as far as like the right. piano is such a different yeah, yeah. instrument. But, um, you know, maybe what do you think, though? That gets yeah, that gets into some you know deeply philosophical issues uh, because you know maybe there is a sense that when the composer first writes down what they you know they put they they may not realize fully the implications of what they've written down right you know and so when some of those implications maybe are realized by a performer uh you know maybe they might think either they might say i hadn't thought of that or maybe they had they might say, I haven't thought of that, but come think of it. Maybe actually I did. I just didn't realize that that was what I meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> but we know, I think there's some evidence that Brahms was pretty open-minded and, and uh, when he heard people performing his works and uh, he felt that if people, you know, got across the, the basic essence of the piece, he, you know, he, he wasn't dogmatic about one way or, or the next. Uh mm. So, um, yeah, uh, okay. yeah that, that's, that's difficult to, to say. Uh, so it's possible Beethoven might be surprised and delighted by some things. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And, and another question about kind of older recordings, and this is just a thought I had. So, you know, go with me on this mm -hmm. little <laughs> uh, right goose chase you know i i wonder similar to music you know it's it's funny we we think about bach and beethoven and, and these great composers but the the truth of it is 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 we only play a small portion and 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 theoretically the greatest portion of what they wrote and in the same way you know we we hear we there how many recordings are there that are lost or or aren't significant enough to be kept and so what we hear from the past or what we, we imagine from the past is actually great because it was great and it, and, and it is worth remembering and, and comparing that to, you know, today it's difficult, even from the standpoint of, of we're comparing the, the very, 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 very top best of the best of the best compared to everything. <laughs> is that, I mean, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, but I, I think about that sometimes of, of how how much is out there compared to um, what the, the top elite is from the past that we just remember? Well, that's true. And I think, uh, you know, our memories can be subject to, uh, you know, unconscious manipulation over time. We may think we remember, right. we may remember a performance a certain way, and then we may have a recording of performance uh, of that same performance later. And we realize it was nothing like what we thought. <laughs> right right uh, uh and i guess you know i mean in many aspects of life uh you know this is often you know maybe this is worrisome i don't know in so many aspects of life you know older people say ah but in the good old days such and such and such is not like today mm -hmm. uh you know and nowadays people don't know you know and uh so maybe uh you know maybe the good old but then again i mean still i when i listen to certain recordings from from that era they are still incomparably great uh and um 
right. cases greater than some very famous pianists nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so it's not as if my mind was playing tricks on me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the aesthetics uh -huh. were different and the expectations, we, we're just a different society and culture. So I think it's hard to compare. Like we do this in sports too. And I, I've had chess podcasts where we talked about chess. Who's, you know, who's the greatest player if you put, hit somebody from the, the 1920s against somebody from 2020. I mean, the, you can't really say because the technology is different. The knowledge is different, but they were just the as training much, is different. Yeah, they were just as much a genius if they had the same kinds of aesthetics or idea or uh, knowledge that we have now or whatever in, in music is a little bit more esoteric, but, but yeah, it was just different, uh, different ideals in a way. And, and I love listening to, you know, not only Horowitz, but going farther back, like Courteau or, or like you say, Fisher or um, Rachmaninoff hearing him play his own pieces. It's, it's phenomenal, but it's very different from how somebody might interpret it today. They're both great, but they're very different. So. Right. At the same time, I think a lot of times uh, one, how do I say this? Because they were interpreted very differently back then than now, it doesn't mean that we're correct now and they weren't back then. Uh, in certain things, yes. I mean, you no, know, especially in older music, we're learning more about, you know, uh, you know how music, you know, like Bach was played, and some things can sound very hopelessly heavy and romanticized, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but sometimes I think maybe today we were emphasizing the wrong things, and we have to try to. Uh, I think I heard, even heard Mark Enley say this. We have to. He was quoting somebody who said, "You know, we have to." to seek what they sought in these, these great artists, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, from, from the first few decades of the 20th century. By the way, I should also mention Myra Hess, another oh, yes. idol of mine. <laughs> yeah. Her, her yeah. Apasionata is famous. I mean, what a firebrand she was. That, that is, a, that is quite a performance. She had tons of energy. 10 and, and, and both Brahms concertos and, uh, uh, Mozart and some Mozart concertos. Uh, she was one of the great Mozart players. Mm -hmm. She was a beast at the piano, too, but very refined when, yes. when needed. Yeah, yeah. A, a sort of a, a beast with a twinkle in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I love watching some of those old videos where she's playing. I mean, probably because of the setup they had to have in, in London, um, where she's more in the back and she's doing a concerto. Uh, where the piano is yeah. sort of up on a stage. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal to me because that just wouldn't happen today, although I've, I've been in similar situations where the solo piano was horribly played. But that's, yeah. just, that's just how it was, and she was fine with it. So, anyway, go ahead, Mike. What are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it was where we're um, kind of, I'd like to talk a little bit as we're finishing up a, um, a little bit, I'd like to talk a little bit about the 106 that's coming up that you're playing. And, and specifically, um, you know, there may be um, uh, listeners here that, that aren't as familiar um, as others. And I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about the 106, what as a, maybe a new or, or um, rare, a fairly green listener, what should they be listening for and, and what makes this uh, sonata so special? For me, this piece is one of his most, or 
this is one of his most ecstatic pieces. It is incredibly uh, joyful and uh, uh, exuberant. That's the word. Uh, and uh, you know, utterly just almost out of one uh, one of uh, uh, Beethoven once referred to the kind of the he, he said, I am the Bacchus of music. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you sense that with, with this music, right from that incredible opening uh, and through the whole piece. It's just this incredible explosion of, of joy. I mean, except, of course, for the slow movement, which is the other end of the spectrum, which is as one of the great laments in the history of music, uh, or one of the great, I mean, you could call it a kind of treatises or discussions of suffering and, and sorrow do you, do you think that that joy having those two elements in the same piece accentuates those extremes i think so yes. I mean, it, it must right yeah and then the fugue uh the the sense of reaffirmation of life uh, coming after that is, is also i think extraordinary and the fugue uh yeah it just jumps for joy and and it just uh it, it uh it just has this incredible uh optimistic energy about it which is which is so fun and that's you know th there's there's the f one of the famous things about this piece is the controversial metronome markings uh and uh which you know the first one was you know 138 to the half note which as Alfred Brendel rightly says, is simply unplayable, even if you're the, the devil incarnate yourself. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's easy to play the piece in a kind of allegro maestoso way, okay? And it's also very easy for the fugue to sound like a gnarly struggle and, you know, kind of a mighty gnashing of teeth. You know? uh -huh. uh, right. But it's, it's not that, you know, and uh, if the piece played with this, this the right energy and, uh, and exuberance, uh, maybe you're, you know, 120, 122, maybe not 132 or whatever, but, uh, uh, you know, there should be the, the, this irrepressible joyful energy about the, the the piece and I think that's really so much what it, what, it, what it's about it's, it's a celebration uh, oh. and it's it, the I read in actually in Edwin Fisher's book about Beethoven sonatas that uh, Beethoven at one point wrote down uh, there's this phrase uh, vivat vivat Rodolphus uh, uh, you know, long live Arthur Rudolph, to whom the, you know that the 106 and many other pieces were, were written, and so that is the, the the opening theme. You know, Vivat Vivat Rodolphus, and so it's it's like it's like a cheer. You know, uh, like a, right. You know, something you would hear that your cheerleading team, <laughs> you know, Arthur Rudolph's personal cheerleaders, <laughs> team, you know, cheer, and That's so incredible. And that already immediately sets the tone of what this, you know, it's about. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, so it's not this massive, overbearing, you know, serious, uh, like monumental, majestic thing. It's not that at all. It's a lot of fun. Not so much fun to play, but <laughs> in a certain sense, it is fun to play. You know, 
Just a cute little uh, technical question. The opening, do you do with the left hand or or, or both? That's I, uh, I do with the left hand alone. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. think, so you're a risk uh, taker. Yeah. That's the, 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 the puritanical Serkin influence uh, to a certain extent. Although it's interesting, you know, Rudolf Serkin was, you know, very puritanical in many ways. And you dare not play one note uh, written in the, intended by the composer of the right hand in the left hand or vice versa. And uh, for much of my life, I scribes to that but i have completely changed <laughs> and now i redistribute up the wazoo and do all kinds of horribly illegal things uh, <laughs> if the music comes out the music comes out yeah that's kind of how i look at it now and uh but there's something about playing that opening gesture that you know rising uh uh 10th plus an octave with one hand that that gives the right spirit i will confess that the next leap uh you know in in the yeah, that one, I play the bottom three notes of the downbeat chord with the left hand, but the F I play with the thumb mm. uh, okay. in the right hand. So that way it's the same leap, the same exact notes I can do twice, so I have a better chance of getting it. And then just the, the, the right thumb, I add the F. Oh, so there's wow. a little bit of cheating that I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a curious a curiosity, yeah. But, uh... That's that's wonderful. Well, we're, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing it. When, when will this be released? When will we, when will the recital take place? Uh, it'll be broadcast uh, on April 4th. Um, I'll put, oh, I don't know. I mean, I'll put it on Facebook. It's actually, it is already on Facebook, but I don't know if I have the exact proper link. Uh, it'll, I think it's 7 30 PM on the 4th. Uh, some link within the case Western reserve university website. Uh, but you, you know, you'll see it, uh, on, on Facebook and you can send it along to your followers, uh, that might not see it or whatever. We'll and then the here. final sonatas will be, uh, live stream from CIM, uh, on April 7th at 7 PM. So if you go to the CIM website, you'll, uh, I'll also, of course, I'll post that on Facebook too, you'll, but you'll find the, you know, the link for that Fantastic. do you have a favorite out of what i know it's hard to choose but 109 110 111 do you have any pre preference or they're all so great yeah i guess i could maybe the last moment of 111 because <laughs> you're done then <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> that's a beautiful movement yeah it, it, yeah that's wonderful well i want to thank you so much for your time is is there for for anybody who wants to um, you know, support you. What is there anything that that anything you'd like to promote? Anything you'd like to talk about? Um, well, you know that, that we've missed free uh, advertising time. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, let me think about this. Uh, I have a website, DanielShapiroPianist.com. Uh, I have uh, three DVDs of Schubert sonatas, uh, and you can find links to purchase them, more information about them on my website. Uh, but also, if you just go to Amazon, you know, and just search for Daniel Shapiro Schubert DVDs, you'll you'll find them. Uh, and if you go onto YouTube, uh, I have a YouTube channel, and all of a lot of previous performances of all the Beethovens are up. And these, I'm gradually adding the links to these eight recitals uh, for this season onto uh, my YouTube channel and also onto my website. 
Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. So, so the best, so the, so for the most central place is to go to your website, danielshapiro.com. Yeah. Daniel Shapiro. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Shapiro. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes for, for anybody who, who wants more information. I'm super looking forward to, to hearing these, um, you know, these final sonatas and it's been a joy. Thank you for being on the show. Well, maybe I should also uh, quickly mention that uh, if yes. there are any students out there that want to work with me, uh, I'm you know doing more and more remote teaching. Given you know advent of COVID, it will, that will probably continue. So, again, through my website, uh, you know I can be contacted uh, you know, if anybody wants to just you know have a lesson or a session with me. I'm more than happy to work with with, with people. Oh, awesome. wonderful! That's a great what a great opportunity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Elias. Is there anything that, that, that we missed that, that you missed that you wanted to bring up? No, th- this is so fun just to hear about. I'm glad we went into all these other topics, too, I hadn't thought about. Uh, so, you know, singers and conductors. And, and <laughs> it really is important, I think, for pianists just to get a, a larger sense. And I think you bring so much uh, life and life experience to music making that uh, it's sort of a lost art. So I appreciate you doing that. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And I, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff I'm happy to talk about for hours and hours. Uh, I tell you, I, I love chatting with people for hours and hours, but I don't like lecturing. I have fully enjoyed the conversation. So I, it, this has been a blessing and I, I appreciate your time so much. My pleasure. Thank you both. It's great talking with you guys and I hope I'll see you guys soon. I, I guess so, Mike, we haven't ever met in person, so I hope we will. I look forward to it. Yeah. Absolutely. So everyone, thank you so much. And, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. This is Mike Levitt and you've been listening to And If Love Remains. Yeah.